Please be seated. Let's turn now to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7, it's in the insert of your, your service sheets for your convenience. It's also on page 697 and 698 of your church Bibles. And uh, here we are getting into the, the bit that, that, well, frankly, a lot, of, a lot of ministers would just stop before we got to because uh, things can, on the surface, appear very, very complicated and, and difficult to understand. But we'll, we'll get into uh, an explanation of that in a, in a moment. But this is, uh, I think it's important for us to remember that this is, this is God's Word. Uh, and we, we go through whole, whole books of the Bible here uh, because we, we value God's word. We, we think that, that all of it, is, as, as the Apostle Paul uh, told Timothy, is, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training that we, the, the man of God might be built up for, for every good deed and every good work. And so we're, we, we come now to this, this part of Daniel, these, these visions that he, that he has, uh, and we're going to look at those over the coming weeks. So uh, we're going to start with, we're going to do Daniel 7 tonight. Uh, next week and the following week, we have guest ministers coming, so, so guest preachers. Um, and so we'll, we'll have some different uh, topical uh, talks in the next couple of weeks, and then we'll come back into to Daniel chapter 8 uh, on that, the third Sunday from now. So Daniel 7, uh, this is God's word, beginning in verse 1 and reading through the, the whole chapter through verse 28. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and vision of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and the four beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet, like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces, and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that, was bef- that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked a- up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. But their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the vision of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints, and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the, the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of the, this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand, for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed. But I kept the matter in my heart. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. On Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code, which I, I don't recommend unless you just want to read a, a load of rubbish, uh, but in the book there's a, a character whose job is, is that of, of a professor of symbology at Harvard. And it's not a real position, it's, it's not a real thing, but it, it sounds plausible because it sounds like the sort of thing we, we would send our kids to, to higher education to, to study and, and learn, uh, even though it has no real world applications to it. But when we come to a, a vision like the, the one in Daniel this evening, we often uh, think about it as, as something that, that where, where we could use a professor of symbology to explain it to us. You see, we think we need someone uh, who can, can look at all the cryptic details and, and, and give us a, a clear-headed and educated understanding of, of each of the things that we see in, in a passage like the one before us this evening. And this would actually be a mistake. And it's often the, the, mis, the mistake that, uh, that we make when we, uh, when we approach this kind of, of biblical literature. In fact, the reason why uh, I couldn't recommend the Da Vinci Code to you is because it's, it's an, a clear example of, of what happens when, when we get so focused on, on little details and, and assign uh, meaning to them when, when they weren't intended to have uh, a meaning assigned to them. What happens is, uh, is, is conspiracy theories are born. 
So how should we understand this, this vision of Daniel, both, both this week and then in the weeks to come? I think, I think we need to understand it uh, more like an epic. We should understand it more like uh, the, uh, a sweeping view of, of history and of our, of our world and of the divine story. We should, we should understand it more like uh, Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, you know, a book that, that I could very happily and eagerly recommend to you. But in these books, we have these, this, this incredible and rich and vivid and minute detail. But the detail isn't meant to be overanalyzed. Rather, it serve, serves to enhance the beauty and the wonder of the bigger picture. And this is what we see in, uh, in what is often referred to in Scripture as apocalyptic literature, the type of genre that we see before us this evening. It's, it's meant, not meant to be a, a code that we have to break. It's not meant to be something that we have to decipher the details of in order to find meaning in it. Rather, it's, it's a richly ornate and beautiful picture that is meant to appeal to the senses. In fact, you, you may have noticed that, that Daniel uh, often mentions in, uh, over and over again, I saw this and I heard this and I saw and I heard. And you get this, the, the strong sense from Daniel's descriptions of, of these things that, that he, he observed. And he often tells us how he how he felt about these things. He, he finished by saying it, it made him feel quite anxious, actually, and the color had drained from his face. But these, these visions were, are, are meant to actually uh, give us a sweeping view of the history of the world. And they offer us timeless principles for understanding our world, past, present, and future. And so there's three things for us to see tonight from, from this first vision of Daniel. We see the kingdoms of the world. Second, we see the the God who's on the throne. And third, we see the salvation that's brought by the Son. So first, Daniel wants us to see the the kingdoms of this world. As we get into this point, it's important for us actually to notice the time stamp in verse 1. It's it's the first year of Belshazzar's reign. Now, if you remember back to to chapter 5 when Belshazzar was uh, having a party, and he invited a thousand of his, his uh, nobles to this party where they were drinking late into the night. Uh, and then the, the writing on the wall incident happened. But, but he's, he's having this party uh, while his enemies are, are at the gates of the city, ready to, to come in and, and take it over. The city is under siege. And, and within that, that very night, the night of this party, uh, Belshazzar would be killed and the kingdom would pass to Darius the Mede. So, so Daniel would have seen the early and and very few days of the reign of Belshazzar. And it probably would have troubled him to see this, this young king who was, was throwing away his kingdom. And so this vision, I believe, was given by God to encourage Daniel in what would have been a, a, a moment of, of coming transition. And you'll notice that in, in many ways it, it parallels the vision of, of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the first king we came to know it back in, in chapter 2. So what does Daniel see? Well, he sees these four beasts, doesn't he? And each one is, is rather frightening. Daniel says uh, they, were, they were each different from one another, but we get a, a sense of the, the similarity between them, don't we? They're, they're, there's a ferocity to them. Most theologians think they correspond to the same kingdoms as uh, the, the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So roughly speaking, the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, and then the Romans. But what we need to notice is that, that the first three beasts in particular, though, though fierce, are incredibly limited. 
and what they can do. They act at the, the allowance and the, the command of another, don't they? Notice the, the first beast, the lion with the, the eagle's wings. Daniel says he's limited. His wings get plucked off. And he's forced into this uh, unnatural position for a lion. He's forced to stand on two feet like a man. And he's given a, a mind of a man. And then the, you've got this second beast. You, know, you have this hand that seems to be reaching out and, and, and controlling this, this first beast. The second beast is like, like a bear. And you hear the fierceness of the bear, don't you? And this, these ribs that are, are, he's munching on in his mouth. But even his, this, this fierce beast has to be commanded in what it does. It's told what to do, doesn't it? Isn't it? And the third is, is like a, a leopard with four wings. And this one, uh, this is the one that, that many scholars think corresponds to, to the Greeks and their, in the Greek empire. You know, Alexander the Great uh, would conquer the world swiftly like a leopard. But then his reign ended rather abruptly, just like this leopard in, in, uh, in, in Dan- that Daniel sees. And then finally we're presented with this fourth beast, which Daniel says was different from all the others. And it was terrifying. And it was dreadful, exceedingly strong. It's a, it's a remarkable description. Look back at, at verses 7 through 8. It, he says this, It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. You know, it's it's interesting that 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 mouth that spoke great things, that's all we hear from it, is that it, it spoke these great things. Daniel doesn't record what any of those things are. Because they're utterly irrelevant, aren't they? When we see what happens to this beast in a moment. But I think it would be natural for us to, to listen to this and go, what in the world is he talking about? What in the world is Daniel talking about? You know, this, this seems like a, a bizarre dream, doesn't it? But, but this is the kind of uh, material that we, we don't usually lead with when sharing the gospel. I wonder what the young man who is listening to me read the, the passage is, is thinking. Uh, he probably thinks we're a bunch of nutters. Oh, well. Uh, but, you know, you, this is the kind of thing that, that uh, where, where people think, okay, the church gets a bit weird when we start looking at this kind of stuff. But again, I want to suggest to us that, that we need to be careful not to, to get caught up too much in the detail and rather consider this like a, a picture book. What's the big picture teaching us? When we look at these pictures, these, these beasts, we should see a, a bit of our own world in them and even our own society. We're, we're told later in, in the interpretation that these four beasts represent four kingdoms that, that devour everything in their path. See, God is, is revealing to us something of the, the collective human heart, the insatiable desire of people and nations to, to conquer and to possess. The, the picture's scary because of what it, it reveals to us. It reveals to us that nations and empires naturally leave people and groups of people experiencing brokenness. They, they don't care for, for the individual. They don't care about you and I. They, they only care about devouring and possessing and controlling and ruling. See, God's saying, if you, if you want to understand the state of the world, then, then look out at it and you'll see Nations like these beasts that are rising up and conquering and devouring. 
with no care whatsoever for the, the damage that they're doing. You know, this is why in our, our time many will, will bemoan the history of, of empire, and, uh, in, in, including in this country, and in, in some cases with, with perhaps good reason. Now, that's not a, a debate that I want to get into, but perhaps a, a better example is, is what we're seeing today in, in a place like Ukraine, where the, the Russian bear, you know, that's, that's the historic symbol of, of Russia, isn't it? The Russian bear, uh, the, the lines of England, the, the eagle of America, the unicorn of Scotland. I mean, where can I do? Unicorn of Scotland, that's just weird, isn't it? But, but the Russian bear, you know, led by, led by this man who, who claims to want to, to restore territory historically belonging to Russia, has invaded a nation and is, is seeking to, to devour large parts of it. In the meantime, this, this is having a, a global impact, isn't it? We, we feel it in our petrol prices and the, the cost of heating our homes, not to mention the possibility of food shortages because we can't get grain out of, out of Ukraine, out of this, this nation. And, and, and does, does, does Russia care? No, not, not really. Do you begin to see the relevance now? Daniel has, has passed down principles that span all of human history, though the vision was a, applicable to a particular time and place in history but the principles still get passed down. In fact, that's in large part the point of the fourth beast. That's why the fourth beast was, was considered different, because you, you begin to see that the, that fourth beast setting the, the tone for what would come in the rest of history. These nations that would replace the great empire, and yet they, they won't last. These, these nations that are just these little horns in the grand scope of human history. And not even the last horn, this, this great blasphemous, Antichrist, not even he will remain forever. See, what Daniel's seeing and what, what we can all see in our own day and time is the nature of earthly power. It's, it appears unstoppable, and it can cause us a great deal of, of worry and concern and fear. Daniel himself expresses this several times throughout, throughout the, the, telling of, the recounting of these visions. But the ultimate message of this vision is, is one of hope. And that's what we begin to see in our, our second point, when we see the, the God on the throne. Let's, let's look back at verses 9 through 12. It says this, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and, and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and his body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. If the vision ended at, at verse eight, that would be that would be pretty awful, wouldn't it? It would be like like uh, Star Wars ending with the Empire Strikes Back. You know, they, they thankfully they managed to make Return of the Jedi. Uh, we won't talk about any others after that. We don't have much of a Star Wars crowd tonight, I don't think. But but setting that aside, what does Daniel tell us? He sees next. He sees this this king and a and a kingdom greater than any beastly kingdom of this world. 
God the King is is named here as as the Ancient of Days, and that's that's significant. God is saying that that these kingdoms, these beasts, are are the upstarts, but He's been around forever. And these beasts are, are all going to die out one by one. But he'll still be around. And he'll still be on the throne. In fact, the demise of these kingdoms can be traced directly to the judgment of this great God who reigns. Look, at, look again at verse 10. The, the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. What's in those books? It's, it's all the things these, these kingdoms have been doing. It's all the things the, the, the rulers and the oppressors of this world have done. Who has the right to judge the nations? Who has the right to pronounce sentence on the kings and kingdoms of this world? Well, Daniel says it's it's the Lord God who made the earth and everything in it, including these kings. And verse 11 is, is in fact, the ultimate anticlimax, isn't it? You know, the, the horn of the, the fourth beast is, is running its mouth. This weird little horn with, with eyes and a mouth, and it's it's just running its mouth, and, and the beast is is saying all kinds of of who knows what. He, he just, we're just told he he was he was uh, speaking great words. And what happens to him? He he just he he's cut down dead. It's it's an anticlimax. It's it's like that that scene in Indiana Jones when. Uh, if you've seen it, when he's fighting his way through the uh, the Egyptian market, and he comes upon this this giant of a man, and he's holding this giant scimitar, and he's he's wielding the scimitar, you know, and, and swirling it and twirling it, uh, and, and and showing off his his power and his might. What does Indiana Jones do? Well, he nonchalantly takes out his pistol and he shoots the guy dead. You know, if you you were watching the film, you were expecting something more. And the fact is there, there was supposed to be something more, but Harrison Ford, the actor, had a flu bug, so they shortened the fight scene to a single gunshot. And it made film history. And Daniel's seeing the same thing played out in world history in this vision. A boastful beast cut down by the one who's really in control of everything, the God of the universe. Now, do you think Daniel found this comforting? It seems like he would, maybe he did, but he still had these these worries and concerns, didn't he? You know, this should should be massively comforting to us. We're on the the side of of the God who wins, aren't we? The God who drives history for His purpose and to His ends. Will God's people suffer in the meantime? Yes, God's people will suffer. Will God's people be targets for for these beasts, for the powerful in our world? Yes, we we see that throughout the world. But the message here is simple, and, and, it, and it's quite clear when you, when you don't lose yourself in the details. The message is our God reigns. He's the Ancient of Days. He always has reigned, and he always will. And there's, there's an even greater hope that he mentions to Daniel and that we, we've seen for ourselves. And that's actually what we see in our third point tonight, the salvation that's brought by the Son. Let's look back at 13 and 14. I, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the, the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one 
that shall not be destroyed. Now these verses for us have, uh, who, who have seen Christ almost need no interpretation. But there are three things I want us to, to notice from them. First of all, notice the contrast between the true king and the kingdoms. The kingdoms of this world are, are beastly, aren't they? They're, they're almost agonizingly horrible to behold and to consider. They aren't, they aren't fit for humanity. However, who, who reigns over the kingdom of God? Daniel says it's, it's one like a son of man. One like a son of man. And those words should, should actually pierce us to our hearts. We can all on, on some level feel the, the beastly nature of our world, can't we? You know, many of us feel the, the fears and the anxieties that, that Daniel expresses in, in these verses when he's, he's looked at this, this vision of our world. We all can, can see the, the utter inhumanity of our world. We, we see it on the news reports in wars and famines. We, we feel it in our, in our neighborhoods you know, when we see or experience uh, antisocial behavior. We hear it in the, the cries for justice in our world that go unanswered or whose solution is, is too often just simply more injustice. What Daniel sees should, should actually cause our hearts to sing for joy because Daniel sees the, the promise of, of humanity restored. Daniel sees a ruler who will reign in a way that our humanity longs for and is actually compatible with. But we have no ability in ourselves to make it come about, do we? See, Daniel presents us with one outside of ourselves. But who is like us because he's the Son of God and the Son of Man? And in him has been given the authority to reign over the whole world. I know I've mentioned Tolkien already, but I'm, I'm going to, to do so again uh, mainly because I can. Um, in the Lord of the Rings, Frodo, uh, the hobbit, is, is on a, a, a dangerous journey, and he's, he's given a gift by this, this elf queen. And I, I know this, you know, when, when I say those words, it just sounds kind of weird, um, but, but for, you know, just bear with me if you're not a Tolkien person. This, this gift that, that he's given is, is a little, uh, it's a little vial with a clear liquid inside that, that lights up because it contains the, the light of a star. It's, it's called the light of Arendil. And when it's given to, to Frodo, uh, the, this queen blesses him and tells him, may it be a light in dark places when all other lights go out. What I want to suggest to us is, is that the words of Daniel here are the Christian's light of Arendil. And we can look to them in dark places when it feels that all the other lights have gone out. It's the promise that we will be human again and live as we were made to live because we have a Savior who is like us. And that leads us to the second thing for us to notice. Notice that there is a means by which this vision is fulfilled. The, notice the means by which this vision is fulfilled. By that I mean notice how this points to Jesus. In Jesus' day, all the, the religious leaders and even the, the Jewish people themselves were waiting on the Messiah. But that term had taken on uh, all kinds of political meanings. It was a weighty term. They, they wanted someone who would come and, and save them from the Romans, 
who occupied their land. But Daniel reveals to us the, the reign of the Messiah would be bigger than just Israel. And it would be bigger than just freedom for, for this one nation. Daniel reveals to us that this kingdom, the, the kingdom of the true Messiah, would fill the whole earth. So Jesus seems to, to lay aside this name of, of Messiah in favor of, of this name that we hear in Daniel, the Son of Man. It's no coincidence that we hear Jesus call himself that. And, and after reading these verses, the meaning should immediately hit us like a load of bricks. Jesus claimed to be the true Messiah, the one who will have dominion and glory and a kingdom. You, you hear these words at, at Jesus' first trial on the night when he's, when he's betrayed and arrested. He's taken before the religious leaders of his day. In fact, they provide the, 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 these words provide the moment when the, the penny drops for the high priest in Matthew 26. Listen to, to, to what Matthew tells us. Matthew 26, uh, this is verse 63 through 65. It says this, And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness, witnesses do we need? You have now heard his, his blasphemy. Folks, if we're going to understand these verses rightly, then we, then we have to understand that, that, that God is talking to Daniel about Jesus. 600 years before Jesus turned up. And Daniel was blessed to have these, these things revealed to him. But we're even more blessed because we've, we've actually seen the Savior. We've seen the Son of Man. And tonight Daniel reminds us that if we're, if we're found in, in Jesus, in Christ, in the Messiah, the Son of Man, then we'll be found in his kingdom. And the wonder of that is, is that we will, we will be human again as we were always meant to be. And then there's one last, last wonder for us, one last thing for us to notice this evening. The, the third thing we should notice is the, the time constraint on this final kingdom. The kingdom will encompass all peoples and nations and languages, and it will be everlasting. It will not pass away. It will never be destroyed. It will have no end. It will not be like the kingdoms of the beasts. In fact, it will be nothing like the kingdoms of the beasts because it will be a place where, where our humanity will thrive and will, it will last forever. If there's two things we should take away from, from this complex vision, I'd, I'd suggest these two, that, that there are, are spiritual realities that are being played out in real time before our, before our very eyes every single day in this world. That's what, what Daniel is pointing out to us. That God's battle with, with evil is already decided, but it's still being played out before us. In other words, what, what happens in our world today still matters, doesn't it? For eternity. The second thing I, I think we should take away is that, that we can live with the, the here and now. Because the, the promise of the future is much greater and more glorious than the, the sufferings of this present moment. And the calling of Daniel for us today as followers of, of Christ is, is to take heart. 
to do what the Apostle Paul called the first century church to do in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And I'll close with these words. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let us pray.